and study, the podcast where you get to follow along as we build products in public. Each week, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we share our struggles, our wins, and everything in between. I'm Benedicta, and I'm feeling unfocused. And I'm Benedict. Today is April 25th. This is episode number 178, and I'm feeling happy because we have a guest. And today's guest is Anthony Eden of DN Simple. Welcome, Anthony. How are you feeling? I'm I'm doing well. I'm feeling cheeky today. I am I'm just <laughs> I am feeling super cheeky, ready to cause some trouble. No, it's, it, I really appreciate you having me on the episode. It's going to be uh, I think it's going to be a good time, and I look forward to chatting a bit about uh, what we're doing. To get us started, maybe can you maybe tell us a little bit about uh, what DN Simple does and uh, what your job is at DN Simple. Sure. So DN Simple is a domain registrar and DNS provider. We've been in business now for over 13 years. My job is the CEO. Uh, I have I started the company uh, back in 2010 with my brother. He moved on in 2014, and I've slowly been growing the company uh, for well for those 13 years. Much of it, I wrote the software. In the early days, I was doing a lot of the engineering, um, especially the front end and doing some of the sales things and doing the marketing. Uh, I don't do any of that anymore now. I focus solely on making sure the company operates well, that we have finances in the bank and that we have the right people in the right place to build a great team. Awesome. That almost answers a couple of questions that I have for you later on, but we'll get to them in more detail, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> but, did you say, but did you say how many you were at this point? Um, so I think we're 24 today, 24 people. Uh, we have a fairly large engineering team. Uh, it's over half the team are is made up of engineers. And then we have some a uh, couple folks doing marketing. We have uh, some folks doing customer support, uh, then supporting roles uh, as well. So yeah, it's 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 a decent little business. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Um, so um from your point of view, what's different about DN Simple compared to other uh, registrars and DNS providers? Because there are plenty out there, right? There are. There are. Well, we came about in a time when there was kind of this change from the old guard to the new guard. And the old guard was about sort of these really complicated interfaces that you had to fill in lots of forms in order to register a domain. And the DNS interfaces were kind of really clunky that you just had to put everything in by hand. And so what we focused on from day one was creating a service that developers would want to use. So that meant one, having an extremely streamlined flow for registering domains and for setting up DNS, creating automations for being able to add records, for example, in batch for different services that people that, well, our, our customers used, and then continuing to improve that over time, doing things like the ability to connect to a Heroku um, server running just by doing an OAuth dance and saying, yep, connect this to that, right? Uh, we did the same thing for Netlify as well. We uh, really focused heavily on a good API, a good REST API. We have nine, uh, nine different clients in different languages that are kind of standardized. So you could switch from one to the other without too much thought. And then now we're focusing more on the ecosystem around those clients and growing that, especially in areas like uh, operations. So using things like Ansible and Chef and Terraform for managing DNS and domains um, and just continuing to make good integrations with other systems. And I think that's really the thing that sets us apart. Uh, a lot of the providers, big and small, are really focused on keeping you in their, in their network, if you will, like really locking you in. And our goal has always been to be to unlock what you can do with your domains in DNS and make it so that you can automate that 
wherever it is. And so that's really where we're focusing now. Pretty much all of our energy is continuing with that vision. So I don't have to go in and like set up everything. If I'm going to get my email, like my Google email through a domain I have with you, I could do an API call and set up all of those like MX records and stuff. I don't have to like go in and then copy paste every little piece. Absolutely. You could do that through the API. So we have a lot of customers who are managing a fairly decent number of domains. And so they'll do all that through the API uh, as they need to. And then if you're just an individual, you could also use something like our one-click service for Google, where you say, I want to turn this on. It'll it'll create all of the records that it knows to create, the MX records, uh, the appropriate text records, things like that. And, and okay, I'm, a, already a I'm already sold. I'm already I'm moving. I'm moving over. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean... I am a customer for, I don't know, forever. I mean, the, these things were basically the, the reason why I switched because it's just so much easier. And uh, um, compared to other providers, and I keep saying this over and over again, like your eyes just super clean and easy to use and you don't have to click a thousand buttons and figure out, is this going to be a subdomain? And is that then there? Or like, what what does the redirect do? And stuff like that. It's just like one table, uh, add new record, select record type, fill the fill in the form, done. Like that's yep. that's the experience I want to have and that's the one I, I'm getting uh, at the Insimple. So yeah, I'm, I'm a longtime fan in that regard. And I um, appreciate that. <laughs> awesome, by the way. <laughs> nice shirt. We're wearing the Dean Simple shirt. <laughs> yeah, this episode is not sponsored, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's just thoroughly bought. No, it's just it's not even. Benedict will never pay for DNS, DN Simple ever again after this show. No, he's a very good customer. He'll continue paying like a proper customer should because he knows he's getting good value out of it. <laughs> absolutely. <Exactly>. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, I think at some point when we talked in the past, you mentioned that you've basically been profitable from day one. Um, was that true, or did you like? Did I miss? That is absolutely that? true. We've been we've been profitable from the very beginning. Essentially, That's awesome. every in a DNS business, a lot of your initial money goes to infrastructure in many cases. So people build out a very large infrastructure. We started really small. Our first name servers, we had four VPS servers, you know, virtual private servers running on, I think, a small orange, which is this hosting company that's been around for 20 years. And that was the first version of it. And so over the years, we've slowly evolved it, moving away from that, moving to a, a much uh, larger Anycast network. And, and we just continue to build out the infrastructure that fits with our customer base, rather than trying to run forward and then throw in a bunch of capital into it. It's the same with people. We, we've hired slow um, and we've made sure that we try to get the right people in for what we need today, not try to imagine, oh, you know, what do we need a year from now? Instead, we focus on what do we need right now to make things better for our customers and make things better for the team. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like the right approach. Um, and as someone like... We are still like we're still struggling a little bit with getting to profitability, but it's it's getting there. We're like we're close, um, but it feels like always like uh, pushing a rock up a hill. Um, and I was wondering, did you like was it a smooth ride for you, given you at least ha didn't have money problems, or was it still like what were some of the challenges you had to face? Because I feel like they're probably different than the ones that we are facing these days. 
Yeah. So we did fairly well capitalizing on the audience that I had coming into the business. So I'd already been out in the world doing speaking about Ruby, speaking about Rails, and then before that, speaking about Java and, and programming, going out to programming conferences and, and speaking about that. And so I had built up an audience that was fairly sizable. And that audience kind of became the first group of customers for DN Simple. And I think that helped a lot. Um, we grew fairly well after some of our competitors made some fairly large mistakes, I would say, with their marketing and advertising. Um, not that we pushed really hard on that. It's just we were in the right place at the right time. I think the challenges that we faced were more on the operational side. Um, so I've spoken about it on other podcasts, but we had a massive DDoS back in 2014 that was a huge, huge wake-up call. Um, and I think that was one of the sort of key pivotal moments. 2014 was a, a, a long and difficult year that culminated in sort of my co-founder, my brother separating, going somewhere else and doing other things. And then me left kind of holding that the reins there and trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do now? Uh, we were just two people, uh, and me and the CTO, and we really had to, to fight hard to get past those initial complications, I would say. And then, then it was fairly fairly smooth sailing from there on there were there were other incidents it was a struggle to get to keep things running again and you're if you're in a business that's 24 7 365 operational where you really can't go down it it takes up a lot of your time and energy just making sure that happens and i would yeah. say that's the biggest that's the biggest struggle uh that we faced was dealing with that and then i would moving forward to say 2000 and 20, 2021, there's a lot more competition in the market now. Uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, they all entered into this space and just added DNS and domain registrations as part of their overall cloud offerings. And um, that now you're in the room with not just one 800-pound gorilla, but three of them all staring you down. And so you have to keep finding ways to differentiate from that. The cool thing is because we're so small and agile, we can do that and it doesn't hurt as much. They, they can't make some of the choices we can make because they're at a much larger scale than, than we're at. So instead, we can focus, okay, what do we want to do this quarter that will really be different for our customers, but it'll focus on solving problems that we know that they have that aren't necessarily being solved by one of those big providers. So in 2014, did you hire more people then, or did it take more time before you had that kind of capacity to hire more people? Oh, we hired straight away. I hired three people that at the end of that year, in the beginning of 2015, two to cover the operations side. And, and we also hired another developer uh, who joined on. He had said, oh, you know, I'm not really into the operations side, but I see that you have this position. I do it because I really want to work with you. And instead, he joined as a developer and, and, and started working on the front end and really helped sort of uh, become the, 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 an additional team member that kind of helped kicked off this idea that, okay, we're an engineering organization. We can actually start hiring there. I was really, really like, I was super careful with hiring in the early days. I did not, I did never want to put our team members in a position where we wouldn't be able to pay them. That was one of those things because I've seen that happen before. And I don't want to be that type of business. I want it to be the type of business that hires people that it can actually pay for. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather take a but, pay cut myself than not pay my, my team because that feels like, I mean, that's the, the basic thing you have to provide for your team, right? <laughs> if, if it feels if like it. nothing else, then at least pay them. <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah. 
Um, talking about your team, you mentioned you're like 24 people right now. Are you happy with that number? Do you feel like it's a good size or do you wish it was larger or smaller even? I definitely think we couldn't do everything we do with a smaller team. Uh, I have a, I have some open positions, so I, I kind of want to keep growing the team a little bit more. Um, we've we've still got some capital in the bank that we can work with that we've we've gathered up over time, um, and we're still cash flow positive. Um, so I I I, I want to work on developing the sales side of our business. We've, we've always been so, we have a fantastic engineering team at this point, like really just an amazing engineering team. They, they have good structure for the development work that they do. They have good leadership. So I feel really confident on that side. Uh, we, I can't say the same on the sales and marketing side. It's, there's only a couple of us that are doing sales and marketing. And I think that's the area where we need to focus on building out, doing a better job of, of growing those teams. So where's your job page? Deansimple.com slash jobs or careers or whatever? Slash jobs. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. <laughs> It's always funny when people try to like hide hide it but behind like more like vague terms. It's often, yeah, people are looking for jobs, right? They're not usually looking for careers, at least not if you're from a non-English speaking country. You're it, It's like you're looking for that jobs thing, I think. I think I think IBM and Microsoft they they talk about careers. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we talk about jobs because there's a job to be done. We want the people that are excited to do the job to be done. Right? That's what we want. <laughs> That's what we want. So, how many people do you think your sales organization should um, should grow to? I'd be happy if in the next year, year and a half, that we were maybe three or four people. That we had some, so I, we, the open position where you have right now is for a key account manager. So we have some existing corporate contracts that I would like to get off of my plate to manage them. Um, so initially it was somebody from our customer success team that was doing it. Um, she's on maternity leave now, so I've taken that over. And ideally I'd like to be in a position where I can hand off that work. Plus maybe have a couple of folks doing um, doing some some sales prospecting from our existing Uh, inbounds that we have from our existing customers that maybe are on the they're not on the right plan for their needs but we don't have the 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 processes in place to go find them and then to encourage them to move to a plan that's more appropriate for them so yeah I, i'm not looking to make I, i don't we're we are as the kids call it a plg company a product-led growth company 100 but We still have companies that come to us and say, I need things to be just a little different. I have a procurement department, so they're going to be taking care of um, things like billing and contract management and things like that. And they have to be involved. Or I have uh, maybe something that, ex that is very different than what our existing plans offer in terms of their needs. Maybe very few domains with high volumes or lots of domains with low volume and things that just don't fit into the standard. And We need to have a small team that's able to field those inbounds and also go look through our existing customer base and, and do a better job of getting them on our enterprise contracts. So that's kind of where we're aiming for in this next year, year and a half on the sales side. Mm -hmm. And on the marketing side, I think we have plenty of tactics in our pocket. We've, we've done a really good job over the years of experimenting with different things. I think there we're just at the point where we need implementers. So we'll, we'll likely be looking to fill a position where it's a developer who really wants to focus on, on certain marketing aspects. 
and try to see if we can get somebody in there to, to help our existing marketing team. So what marketing tactics have you seen work best for you? If you want to share. Your sure, I'm happy thoughts. to. Yeah. <laughs> in the early days, we did a lot of direct outreach through conferences and events and through social media. So again, I looked at my audience. I went out and spoke to them. I would do lightning talks. I'd go to events and just give a lightning talk on a programming language with an API client for Dan Simple. And that, that got us kind of the first bit of the way. Then we started really working on content driven uh, uh, marketing. So uh, if you go to support.dncible.com, we have a huge sort of knowledge base of articles that we've, we, we wrote over time and then keep up to date. And that works fairly well combined, especially with more intelligent thoughts about SEO, right? Looking at the keywords that matter for us, looking at where we fit in there, trying to make sure that we continuously improve uh, how we rank uh, on various search engines um, we have always continued with social media as a place. We, as I said, we we launched our before we started recording. I was talking about we launched our own Mastodon server uh, where we post from. It's not all the time, but we even have an account for Dan Simple called Trusty, which is the name of our authoritative name server. And and Trusty posts on a regular basis, telling people about what's going on. I think Trusty has a lot more followers than I have, which is kind of a little <laughs> bit of a shame. But hey, I'm down for it. Uh, <laughs> We still do. We still post on Twitter. We still post on Facebook. We still post on LinkedIn. So we do those types of things and kind of put it together as a concerted effort. Blog post, then social media. We have an in, in-app um, little uh, thing that pops up about new features. So these, it's, it's just kind of, it's not one particular thing. It's a mix of all these things that works together to create a slow growth business, right? Now you're not going to, with this, you're not going to grow massively. Um, and we have experimented with other things like paid ads. We've never found our successful way into paid ads. Um, our offering just hasn't really resonated, I don't think, because it requires a little bit of, it, it requires a problem that you really need to solve around DNS. You don't just go, hey, I'm just going to buy some DNS. You know, it's not a... Oh, you don't You don't know. Like, I'm yes. a domain hoarder. <laughs> okay, on the domain side, I can see that. The thing is, is that we're not, since we're not aligned as kind of a domain registrar first, we're really a, an operational company first. And then the domain yeah. registrar side of it's a secondary thing. It means you have to have a subscription, for example, right now to register a domain. And so that's, that's a gate that makes it very difficult for somebody to make an impulse buy. And I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. It just, it, it is what it is. So um, so advertising, while we've experimented with it, has never really led to the gains that we'd hoped it would. I didn't, I don't, I think there is still a possibility. And maybe with some of the things we have coming this year, it'll be a little easier. Um, but it hasn't worked to date. So we've stayed focusing on the things that do the SEO, the content marketing, um, the social media marketing live events, we still do quite a few events where we go out and we have one of the team members either speak or run a booth or whatever it might be. And, and so trade shows are still one of the channels that we use as well. How do you follow up people after uh, going to a conference? Very poorly. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, we've, tried, we've tried a variety of ways to get to sort of take those leads and put them in a spreadsheet or what have you. Mm -hmm. But without, again, without a sales team that's focused on doing that, they usually drop on the floor. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't become customers. They may come back later through self-service, which is the vast majority of our customers. And I'm fine with that. But it doesn't mean we can necessarily directly track that the fact that they met us at an event unless we talk to the person. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the follow-up is usually mediocre at best. Mm -hmm. 
I feel like that kind of ties in with the ad ad situation as well, because I feel like that's a different mindset. Like you need some of those the, the like salespeople, like true salespeople who who kind of work differently from I think that that content marketing and SEO and talking at conferences, like it lends itself well to somebody who is a technical founder. Because it's things that we know and we do and we some of us enjoy uh, <laughs> a lot, you know, those types of things. But the sales kind of like the true salesmanship thing. It's like you we don't have practice in that. And it's a it's a skill that we could probably learn, but it's it's like a mind shift. And I think you need that to be successful with ads, for instance. Because yes. it's I think successful ads are like completely different from what we would ever imagine as an engineer. Very much so. Very much so. I also think one of the things that a somebody that does inside sales or outside sales, whatever it is, has to be good at is is not taking no for an answer. And I generally, as my personality is to avoid conversations where no is a likely outcome. <laughs> Instead, I focus on those conversations where it's a win. I know this is going to be a win for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, hey, let's sit down and talk because I know what we have is something that you need. Like Those are the ones that I really enjoy. And I love talking to our customers, our existing customers that are super happy. I'm really, I enjoy speaking with them. Um, it's a lot harder to speak with a, a prospect that that maybe doesn't really even know that we do something that we can solve the problem on and that their first impact, in, like the first thing they're going to do is they're going to just say no because they're getting bombarded constantly by people trying to sell them things. And so a, I think a good salesperson finds ways around that, builds relationships, and it takes time and you have to have a lot of patience to get there. And you kind of have to be a little bit aggressive, but not so much that you blow the deal. And finding that balance, like you said, it's a skill. These are, these are actual skills that you need to have and they don't necessarily align with engineering skills. Yeah. And I think that's why we see a lot of that our types of companies not or your type of companies not doing that until later because you need to find and hire and and even hi- maybe hire somebody to manage them in a, in the way that they like to be managed which is probably also different from engineers i would imagine i believe so yes and uh, yeah. and their compensation is completely different from engineering as well it's kind of they're just very different you kind of have to keep those i think keep those tracks separate i've I've rarely found good engineers who are also very successful sales folks. They exist, but they're rare, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably hard to find, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you don't have a sales or you, you don't have anyone in sales yet, Benedict. Like you you do kind of the same times of marketing that Anthony is talking about. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, we, ta- we, we thought about hiring someone to do sales, but... Um, uh, we didn't do it for multiple reasons. <laughs> like one is, of course, compensation. Like a good salesperson wants a decent chunk of money. Um, the other thing is we don't really know how this would work in terms of like, it, it feels a little bit like we should at least get our feet wet ourselves to get like a rough idea what we are dealing with. Um, and then the last thing that kind of killed it uh, was that we we kind of knew the objections a salesperson person would hear, um, so we figured it's probably too early to hire someone because if these three objections are the the ones they are going to hear all the time, that's that's not a good use of their time. So we'd rather fix like get ahead on those objections, and then it's probably a better time to to have someone do sales for us. But yeah, we see yep. how it goes. 
We we've tried uh, we've tried a couple of times to hire an an individual doing sales, mm-hmm. and and in both cases I think we weren't really ready for it either. It's kind of what you said. In in some cases the because like you said the compensation of a salesperson, which is to some extent going to be tied to a commission, means that the size of the deal needs to be sufficiently large enough for them to invest a decent amount of energy into it. And most of us build our businesses on us, meaning in the sense of those who are building SaaS businesses that are starting with no investment dollars and really bootstrapping that business. We focus on that self-service small customer, like the individual or the very small business that that we feel, okay, the, the likelihood of them coming in is significantly higher because we're going to lower the barrier to entry. We're going to make it super easy for them to try. And we focus on all these things about product-led growth. Um, unfortunately, the competition today is so fierce in every, pretty much every industry around SaaS that, I mean, you still see new players come in that are very niche, but a niche can only last for so long, right? You, you eventually start to get to the point where you're not able to reach or you've reached the the majority of that niche that you're going to be able to. And now you have to figure out, well, what do we do if we want to keep growing? Um, I do find it interesting that that most business folks feel this constant drive to grow, grow, grow. And somebody asked me the other day, I think at the last microconf that I was just at, they were like, well, why, why do you need to keep growing? And the answer is, I was just going to ask the same. (laughs) The answer is, well, because I want to do more cool stuff and I feel like I'm capped with the number of cool things that I can do unless I grow more, right? It's like, comes back to, I want to have a few more team members, but in order to have a few team members, I have to just like, I have to be making more money in order to make more money. I have to grow. And so it's a cycle that we get into. Now, is there a, a limit? Is there a cap? I don't know. I feel like there should be that we should, but everybody that I've ever met, once they hit the fit that a particular stage, then they're like, okay, what's the next one? Okay. Well, now I hit that. Well, what's the next one? And there's just this desire to keep doing more. Maybe that's just a human thing. I don't know, but it's, I, I've seen very few people who say, no, nah, I'm good right here. I'm just going to sit on this business for the next 10 years and reap the rewards of it. And, you know, I don't really need a team. I mean, they're out there. I have no doubt. Whether it's individuals, small teams, or even larger teams, they're happy to just kind of just keep hanging in there where they're at. Mm -hmm. It also could be that if you start going down, you start to feel bad about yourself, right? Even the slightest dip, (laughs) slightest non-growth, and you're thinking, oh, I'm a failure. This is terrible. (laughs) What have I done with my life? Which is probably- should we solve that by growing the business? Or should we solve that by- I don't know, therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure like a lot of this is like, uh, you're fueled by having that li- nice green plus percentage in your metrics tool. Uh, and you don't want to mm-hmm. see it go down or like be, I mean, it's, it's never going to be at zero because that's very unlikely. So rather have it going up even the slightest amount. So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> going up half a percent is, is, it's good. It's, like, I think it better than be, any like, red, yeah. anything green there. So we, we've turned into a game where we're constantly competing to keep that little bit of growth at the worst case scenario. And then, of course, you have the other end of the spectrum, which is, well, we're growing 200% month over month, and that's really great. Um, but it usually comes at a high cost to be able to do that. Or it's very early in a business's uh, revenue. When the numbers are so small, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so, um, so what does a typical week for you then look like in uh, growing your business continuously? <laughs> so, uh, me personally, I spend a little bit of my time each week, kind of doing the the account management right now and handling inbound sales. So we have developed processes for both, and I dutifully follow the process, try to find areas where I can make little improvements on it. Um, occasionally the the sales side of it and in the account management will mean I'll have to get on a call with a customer or a prospect. And I'm fine with that. It's enjoyable. Um, but so it's some of that's that time. Some of the time I spend just kind of answering questions for the team. So they're all the, whether it's the engineering side or the management side or the customer support side, there are certain things where they come up to a decision that needs to be made and that they feel that the decision is something that I should be should weigh in on. And so I'll get pulled into conversations like that. Um, and then I also spend some time doing product management. So product in development, not in the engineering side, but more um, in the sort of the design and flow side and, and thinking how, uh, how we can solve problems for our customers and the kinds of questions that come up around those problems that, that maybe aren't immediately uh, obvious as to how to answer. You know, we might have a choice of three, four, five things to pick from. Well, which one is the one, do we want to do the one that's the easiest? Do we want to do the one that's the best for the customers, even though it might take longer? And, we, and those types of decisions are ones that I often get pulled into. Sounds like you're uh, not the one making the decisions then, uh, at least a lot of time. It, it I, sounds like you're most you're involved, but in, in the end, it's the team that uh, comes up with a decision or how does it work? I, ideally, yes. I mean, in the vast majority of cases, I feel like I want to delegate that decision-making process unless it's something that is sort of existential or has a very long historical uh, relevance, you know, something from many, many, many years ago that maybe that, that, that we need to keep in place or we think we need to keep in place. But one of the things I like to do is I like to challenge this idea that things must stay the way they are. Um, I like to, to throw in a little bit of chaos into things every once in a while just to shake things up um and so i will i will come hey do we really need to do this anymore you know like uh do we really need to be charging a minimum number of zones per month maybe we should just get rid of that minimum limitation and let somebody come in and have one zone and they just pay for that zone right so and then those those types of things start to they start to to snowball into a lot of other questions, right? Well, what is the impact on the business? What is the impact on customer support? What is the impact on revenue? You know, what is, all of these things start to come into play when you with just ask one of those questions about what if we didn't do this one thing that we've been doing for a long time? So I, I like to be that catalyst for causing trouble from time to time. And then you have the team come up with, with kind of suggestions and answers to, to that questions and the the following questions that comes out of that? Ideally, it's a discussion. So we'll, yeah. we say, okay, let's pull some data first. So often we'll, we'll, somebody will take responsibility for trying to understand, well, what is the impact on revenue? What is the impact on customer support? And then we get together and we say, well, here's what we found. Okay, well, let's list out our options. And then I say, you know, what do you all think? And I still fall back to, here's what I think. That's a, <laughs> it's hard not to because I really am deeply into this whole industry and I, I, I want to make sure we for everybody, our customers, uh, our team members, uh, the owners and everything like that. But ultimately, 
I try to make it more of a conversation and where we can all come out of it feeling like, okay, we agree that we're taking the right approach to this. It still may be the wrong approach, right? At the end of the day, you're, you, when you make a decision, you are, you're taking a chance. Every decision is a little chance that you're taking. And I just hope we lean towards those chances that are the ones that were the correct ones in the long run. Very cool. Um, so you touched on product development a little bit and please be as vague as you want to, but, uh, what's, what's up next for the Simple? Like, is there just a room for innovation and something cool and something new in the domains and DNS hosting space? I think so. So, uh, um, at the time of this recording, we are, I think, two weeks out from releasing the ability to manage your Route 53 zones from within your DN Simple control mm. panel. Nice. And so, what's, and what's that? So, so Route 53 is Amazon's DNS service. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And so, from within DN Simple, either through our API or through the UI, you'll be able to see Route 53 zones the same as you can see DN Simple zones right now, and you'll be able to add records, remove records, do everything you could, including syncing zones back and forth between the two automatically, um, including being able to diff between the two so that you could see, oh, this record is different in your zone in Route 53 in DN Simple. Do you want to sync them together so that they're the same? Including turning off and on those zones in the different providers. So you might want to migrate one direction or another, or maybe you want both on so that you can have redundancy in your providers. And so this is the, the first step in what we're calling the domain control plane. And the idea being that you can manage your DNS, your domains, and your certificates on multiple providers all from within one interface. Um, so later in the year, we'll be likely introducing the same thing for domain registration and domain management with another big provider out there that I'll leave unnamed for the moment because we <laughs> kind of punt those decisions until, <laughs> until a little later. Um, Yeah, because, well, again, back to what I said early on, and I think this was on the, the beginning of the recording, but it may have been when we were before we started rolling. Um, DN Simple, because we're small, because we're not really bound to kind of the rules of the big platform players who need you to stay on their platform, we have the opportunity to let you easily work with multiple platforms. And that's kind of the direction that we're heading now. Um, and it's going to necessitate some other changes as well inside of DN Simple, but it's the type of, as far as the business goes, but that these are all, to me, really exciting, interesting things to see how we can roll out in a way that our existing customers feel like they're getting even more value, um, encouraging them to move to, you know, to whatever it is that contains these new features, whether that's moving up into a higher plan or maybe moving across into something different that's yet to be seen. Um, and we, uh, and I feel... That's one of the things really great from the product side. And one of the reasons I'm actually more excited now to be working on the product side than in a long time is that we, since we switched to using ShapeUp, which came out of the folks at Basecamp, we have a lot more consistency in our release schedules than we've ever had in the past because now we time box those very specifically. Um, and so I know that every eight weeks, new stuff's going to be coming out. And that's actually really cool. Like I'm, you know, every eight to 10 weeks, something new is coming out <laughs> and usually multiple something new. So in the first quarter, we, we managed to add on quite a bit of new functionality from, uh, from supporting, um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Okta, which was a big addition for any enterprise customers. If they are an enterprise plan, we can now support Okta for managing all of their, their team members. Um, we also made a lot of improvements on 
various parts of our infrastructure. We improved our DNS editing interface even more, made it more consistent. There were some record types that were kind of not supported very well. So we kind of spent the first quarter prepping, cleaning things up. And now this second quarter, we're focusing really on rolling out some of these new things for this domain control plane idea. And I'll, and I'll keep, we'll be publishing throughout the year as more and more of this stuff comes out. And ShapeUp is a kind of a process for organizing development work. Correct. Yeah. yeah. We, we follow the, so the way ours works is we have, um, so first we frame problems, usually in writing, we have, we do a Google doc and we'll write up a problem description as well as what this, the, what does success look like? Not what does a solution look like, but what does success look like? Then we move in for the ones that we want to bet on, which is the process saying, yes, we want to invest the time in continuing these. We shape them and shaping is usually kind of, um, Fat marker diagrams, we use Miro and we, so we do a lot of like boxy diagrams, flow diagrams, and then maybe really low uh, fidelity interface diagrams. Uh, so we kind of see how things are going to come together. We ask lots of questions. We look for rabbit holes, these things that we're going to fall into that are going to be time sinks. And then once we have done that, then we start the building process and we have, we do six weeks of building and two weeks of cool down. And that six weeks of building, like the teams are getting really good at kind of figuring out the unknowns of the problem within the first week. And they're like, here are the unknowns. We've just, we've spiked some things. We, we understand a little better where the potential problems are. We think that we've overcome them. So they're, then they're what they call climbing the hill. So they continue up these problems until they get to the top of the hill. All the unknowns are kind of known. And then now they're just doing the implementation. Um, and then we culminate that at the end of the six weeks, usually with sort of kicking off the releases, they have two weeks of cool down where they can clean up if they left like technical debt or if they want to do refactorings or things, not more, more technical debt type things, um, right. Updating support documentation, you know, writing the blog posts, all the stuff that's related to sort of this cross between engineering and marketing. Um, and then we added in another two weeks, which we call the cycle break where we don't do anything project related. That's different from the typical process because since we have a business to run, we have a lot of legacy code that's in there and we have just things that, pile up that they're not related to one particular project. They're just little things that need to be fixed. So we gave a two week window. And during that two week window that the, each of the engineering teams, they choose what they want to do. They say, okay, here's what we're going to work on. It's, it's this bug or this, uh, this technical debt that we want to clean up, whatever it might be. And we let them do that. And then we do the process all over again. And it's been really, really good because fixing the window of time and then letting the engineers like hammer out the scope. So we allow them to reduce the scope has resulted in more releases of new functionality, um, leaner releases. So it has the functionality that's actually needed, not just the things that we think would be cool, but the stuff that needs to get done. And I think ultimately it's made the developers a lot happier. The engineers are just happier working that way. It sounds like a cool way to work. It's a little because you know what's expected, right? And you know what, what phase you're in and you know you're going to get that time to fix things also. Thanks, Anthony, for being on. Uh, where can people find more about find out more about you than Dean Simple? So I'm pretty easy. Uh, I'm If you go to dnsimple.com, you can get go to the team page and you'll see who we are. Uh, and I'm in there. They can contact me via email out via LinkedIn. I'm there as well, Anthony Eden on LinkedIn. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm on Mastodon as well. So I'm on ruby.social for my personal stuff. And then we have dnsimple.social 
uh, where I am at dnsimple.social slash Aiden for the posts that I make about the business. And I've tried to sort of give a little bit of behind the scenes insight on that, that Mastodon instance. And I, I have let it down a little bit, but I'll probably keep, I'll do from time to time, I'll burst some, some things about here's what we're doing behind the scenes. And so that'll be something I won't really say pretty much anywhere else. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well done. That's it for this week. Uh, see you on the interwebs and talk to you next week. Yep. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Everyone have a good day. Bye.